This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us open with prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks and we give you praise, Lord, uh, for this day. This is the day you have made. And Lord, we are thankful. Thank you for allowing us to gather in this space this morning. Thank you for our presenter this morning, Bishop Horace Smith. Lord, thank you for all who are present. Now, Lord, we give you this entire day. We trust you with our whole hearts, leading not to our own understanding. But in all our ways, we acknowledge you, trusting, O oh God, that you will direct our path. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So welcome. I'm just doing the informal welcome here. Um, welcome to First Friday. We host these. First Friday events every first Friday of the month. I think we've been doing it for over a year now, and it's been uh, it's been a journey. And we've had some exciting speakers come and present for us. And once again, this morning we have another um, dynamic, exciting, anointed, appointed speaker, yeah. um, Bishop Horace Smith, coming. But I'm not going to do the formal introduction. But Dr. Jeannie Sanders will come at this time. She's from London, Christian Health Center, one of our medical directors. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brooks. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is my honor to introduce the speaker for this morning, the Honorable Bishop Horace E. Smith, MD. Amen. <laughs> Dr. Smith is both a physician and a pastor who has worked at the as a pediatric hematologist, oncologist, for over 40 years at uh, Lurie Children's Hospital and is also an assistant professor of pediatrics at Northwestern uh, Feinberg School of Medicine. He as well has been a senior pastor of Apostolic Faith Church located on the south side of Chicago where he and his wife have served for over 39 years and we were just blessed to celebrate their pastoral anniversary just a couple weeks ago. He is also an author. His book entitled Blood Works has provided tremendous insight from his background as a pastor and hematologist into the wonder and spiritual power of blood and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ shed blood. And we'll hear more about that on today. He is also a global missionary, having uh, made numerous trips overseas to minister to the gospel to, to serve those in need. He as well has a global ministry through our church, as every Sunday the word of God reaches at least 30 countries during our Sunday worship services that are streamed across the world with many individuals tuning in weekly to be spiritually fed and encouraged. He's also won numerous awards and accolades and has served on numerous boards such as the Chicago Board of Health, World Vision, for and he's throughout his of ministry and is a sought after frequently for various speaking engagements due to his tireless commitment of excellence to both his callings of medicine and ministry. Most recently, this past October, he was honored with the Distinguished Alumni, uh, University of Illinois Chicago Alumni of the Year Award, receiving the Humanitarian Award. He was also recognized by the University of Illinois Chicago College of Medicine, Department of Pediatrics for his Humanitarianism Award, and was their keynote speaker at their new lecture. <laughs> While there, Dr. Smith presented an excellent lecture on uh, global pediatric health to the medical staff. As, long, as well as the church choir was present and provided several uplifting songs which blessed all those that were in attendance with many 
uh, in tears after uh, the, pro the presentation, showing that not only were their minds well fed, but their spirits were fed as well. Dr. Smith was exemplified by his life work clearly how to walk in both his callings of medicine and ministry through the grace and the power of God. He's been my pastor for over 25 years, along with being the pastor of other Longdale staff here, Dr. Terry Jesus and Karen Scurry. And we would all agree that he has served as both a role model and spiritual leader to each of us and has had a profound impact in our lives throughout his teaching and his example. He has shaped my life in countless ways, from even before I was a medical student, through medical school, residency, and becoming a physician, and also a minister myself. And I am eternally grateful for his leadership and guidance over the years. So without further ado, I don't want to continue to talk about didn't come to me. So but we are grateful for being here. We usually have a Friday morning prayer from 6.30, 7.30, and he leads us in that. So he has sacrificed this morning to be with us, and we're thankful to him for being here. So welcome, Bishop Smith. If I can get that introduction every week, I'd be great. I'd really be happy. No, um, thank you, uh, Jeannie, and, and to all of you. Good morning. In our uh, worship profession, we say praise the Lord. God is worthy of all praise. We thank you for you being here, uh, for having the commitment to come. I'm always grateful to come to Lawndale. Uh, coach has been my friend, uh, mentor, Comrade for over 30 years. Uh, I have uh, walked with him, he and he with me, uh, on so many occasions. And I know he's under terrific uh, pressure. Uh, his, his daughter just diagnosed uh, a, a brain tumor, but we're believing God that it's going to be benign and he, she's going to be fine and, and all those things. So thank you. Let me uh, give you a, a short disclaimer. This morning, uh, Gene looked about two professions. Uh, let, let me try to negate that. Um, it, it really is my objective to you, as we share this morning, that you know I have discussion with, with uh, our parishioners and other people, and, and they talk about all you know, They say about someone, here's my spiritual life, and you know here's my natural life, and here's my whatever life. And I always ask, how many lives do you have? <laughs> because in, in, in reality, we all have one life. So I'm not sure I have two professions. I like to believe, and I hope I can share with you in some way today, and I hope this will be uh, simply a lecture. You know, I'm always conflicted because I'm academically trained, so I, so I, I, as I said, I said, should I, should I do a presentation? Should I do statistics? And she said, yeah, and I said, I said yeah, but, but then they want me to talk about uh, ministry as well, so how do I combine those two? So I seem to be going back and forth. Uh, I'm, I'm not really uh, schizophrenic. It's just, I try to, uh, to do justice to both. So, so even today, as I share with you, I, I really want to provoke you and, and challenge you, but also leave a, a lot of time at the end for questions and answers. And this kind of a group that you're here today, it's clear to me that you have some real investment um, in holistic thinking in life. So the slides only uh, provide a, a provocation to thought. Uh, and, and I've been in this long enough uh, to be able to share with you interactively, and I'd be glad to do that. I know we've had prayer. Jeannie did point out once a month we have corporate prayer in our church. Um, we, we have between two and 500 people every 
first Friday at 6.30 a.m. Uh, and I'm not there this morning because I'm here, but so if you'll just allow me to pray with you. Lord God, we are grateful this day and we thank you already for what you've already done. The earth is yours and the fullness thereof, and we belong to you. And we come this morning, Lord, realizing that we are so blessed by your grace and mercy. In this season, Lord, as we look toward Calvary and the resurrection, we ask you to stimulate us, Lord, in our hearts, that you may plant in us what you desire, and that the fruit thereof will bless your people and your world. We pray for those who are going through difficulties and valleys and even the challenges of health and mental stress and other issues of everyday life. Be with them. Help us to become Paracletus, to come alongside with them and to make their journey, Lord, much more fruitful. Bless us to be a blessing this morning in our sharing together in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, so look, so uh, so I'm going to talk about medicine's ministry. This is what they, they sent me, you know, I always ask people, they ask me, what do you want me to do? They said, uh, the theme of the fellowship, and this is, this is called, is to build relationships and encouragement among like-minded individuals who are living out the gospel in their respective fields of medicine. And I'm not sure uh, what your calling is today. I'm sure some of you are social workers and physicians and nurses and pharmacists and whatever. Uh, and so I want to share that with you. And then they asked me to share um, some insights from, from my book. And I'm not sure in my notes that I, I talk a lot, a lot about the book, but it really is uh, a provocation to remind me of what, uh, what this book was for me. I was challenged about 20 years ago by one of my mentors and life coaches about what do you share with people in print. And so I tried to uh, ask the Lord to do something that made sense in both worlds. Uh, and this is the quote that really uh, challenged me. And it's from St. Augustine. It's the, it's the opening of the first chapter, God's Creative Design. And, and, and Augustine said, uh, men go abroad wandering at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and yet they pass by themselves without wonder. Um, God's created genius in, in the human condition is nothing less than a miracle. Those of you who, again, are in medicine understand that uh, the complex human structure both physiologically and anatomically in any other way, is astounding. Um, I've been in medicine 40-some years. I have colleagues in medicine for 50 years, and we are always surprised and challenged by what we find. And that has to be because God is uh, a creative genius. Uh, things don't always go as planned. Uh, I can remember uh, during the uh, beginning of the HIV crisis, taking care of children uh, with hemophilia and blood diseases, and as you all know, uh, at that time, most of them were treated uh, with the kind of product that they were exposed to HIV. And I can remember um, those kids getting sick. Uh, we didn't know why they were getting sick. And we just thought they had a virus. We didn't know what the virus was. And for six months, we don't know what the virus was. And then for the next year, we would tell their parents, we know what it is, we can't do anything about it. Those are difficult times. Um, I will tell you that the conflict that I've had early on in my career about, you know, who am I, and, you know, my physician and my pastor, whatever, uh, came in handy because, again, uh, we deal with people at their lowest point, at difficult challenges of their life, and our job is to make them better. And so those things taught me a lot 
about God's wonder, about uh, our role and your role and my role uh, in people's lives. They trust us at the most difficult parts. So the, so the book really is, is are my insights uh, into medicine, and I'm a hematologist. Uh, they say I'm a hematologist, I'm a college trained kind of person. I'm really a hematologist. I take care of kids with cancer too for years of all I did. But uh, for 20 years, I was the director of the comprehensive sickle cell thalassemia program at Northwestern. Uh, and we did some fantastic things with uh, kids with uh, chronic disease. But I'm really a hematologist. But I believe that for me, it's the, it's the thing that God planted in my heart uh, about the blood. As most of you know, who know scripture, the Bible says the blood is the life. You know, it's the only mobile tissue in the body. Uh, and so, I mean, we go back to HIV again. So I can remember as we, as we did research, the first issue of HIV, and we discovered the issue of T and B cells. Uh, and we, we were just floored that somehow in these kids, as they lost T cells, B cells morphed into T cells. Doesn't make any sense physiologically. How, how did they do that? That had to be programmed. That wasn't my chance. So these things again, you know, made me pause it. I'd say that's God. My friends say, oh no, that's a science for us. I say, well, God is the author of real science. No, if it's real science, that's God. Because science is truth. And he is the author of truth. So you'll see woven throughout my presentation. My belief that God is the great creator, he is the author, he's the controller, and things about God we don't understand, but he really is in charge. Um, for the next five, ten minutes, I'm going to be a little bit provocative. So I, I, I'm not on the board, but I, I do a lot of work with a group called Healthy Churches 2020. The last seven years, we have some, some mandates to, to bring health to, uh, especially the black church, to the black church condition because of the people are. And we're challenged by the issues of disparities and the issues of people's choices. Uh, and so I did this presentation a few months ago. Um, they asked me to talk about um, health throughout life from infancy all the way uh, to the seniors. And so uh, what challenged me was, let me go back, and this is, this is very self-serving, this is, my last, this is my latest granddaughter. This is Faith. Faith is a miracle because her, uh, my daughter uh, and, her, and her husband have, have one son, Joshua, but uh, her husband contracted uh, testicular cancer. And they treated chemotherapy, and they told me he'd be sterile or whatever, and their son is seven years old, and they were believing for another child. They went through and all kinds of fertilization stuff. And then they forgot about it, and then they got pregnant. And that's fake. Yeah. But, but what happened when they asked me to talk in 2020, they asked me to talk about um, health throughout lifespan. I thought about faith. And I said, in this life, Faith Marie is my newest grandchild. She really is six months old. Now, this is about six months ago. But already, researchers, sociologists, insurance actuaries, other prognosticators have statistically projected her and other African American babies' lifespans. Not only them, but everybody's lifespan. In other words, people are paid to be able to understand birth rates, death rates, health disparities, and so forth, and they pitch their economic issues toward that. And, and that can be certainly wise, but also can be very daunting, depending on who you deal with uh, as a healthcare worker. The average lifespan at birth of an African American female born, maybe born today is about 75 and a half years. This was improved 15 years ago when it was about 72 years. 
However, African American infants have 2.2 times the mortality rate as non-Hispanic whites, uh, 3.2 times the likely to die from complications related to low birth weights compared to non-Hispanic white infants. They have twice as sudden death, in, uh, death syndrome mortality rates. And in 2014, African American mothers, and, and I learned this when I did research about life throughout the ages, were 2.2 times more likely than non-Hispanic white mothers to receive late or no prenatal care. And so it led me to uh, Linda Villarosa's uh, article uh, in the New York Times uh, less than about a year ago. And it was in that of why America's black mothers and babies are in a life or death crisis. But the disparity uh, is daunting. I've been in medicine for 40 some years, uh, and this is a true statistic. You can do your own research and challenge me about it. Uh, black infants in America now are more than twice as likely to die as white infants. And here's a, the numbers of 0.3 per 1,000 black babies compared to 4.9 of the majority. And this is really what just, just grabbed my spirit. The racial disparity that is actually wider than in 1850, 15 years before the end of slavery when most black women were considered chattel. So, and I, and I know this is very provocative, but it's true, and it, it, is, it is to provoke you, but also congratulate those in this room, because you get it, you understand that what you practice in medicine is not simply science. It really is a, is, is a collaboration of sociologic, toxic situations that people live in every day. And so it, it begs the question, can we make a difference just being classical physicians or nurses or whatever? Maybe we need to do more. When I say more, maybe we need to be wiser in understanding the root causes of health disparities and these kinds of things. And if we're not wise, then we just get more frustrated. What really, what really challenged me was that black women, and no matter what their social economic background is, um, black women with higher education had a higher risk of dying uh, than women in general in Mexico. True number. That blows my mind. Because you think, well, you know, you become in a low social economic group, you don't have education. No. One of the articles that uh, she wrote about was a black woman who was, in fact, one of the directors of health in New York who didn't get proper care and died uh, in childbirth. And, and again, it's just to say that there, there are other issues that are at work that challenge us as healthcare providers. And so the reason between you know, these issues uh, is a growing acceptance of what has largely been uh, ignored in the medical community, that you can't just understand pathophysiology, understand how to make these rates better. If you don't deal with the root causes, again, you get very little uh, competence or, or uh, feedback in a, in a positive way. So we've got to look at, again, the underlying causes. Uh, it, it, this, I, I wrote this to make it to myself. And, and I said, since, since this is true about my granddaughter, then what choices does she have to make and what choices do we have to make to ensure she will prosper and be in health? So, so scripture, you know, you know, First John. It may be the next slide. You know, uh, the Bible says, "I wish that you prosper and be in health, just like your soul prospers." So, even the church has to revisit what it's called to do. The church can't be a place just for us to. We, you know, we're Pentecostal. I mean, we 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 jump and shout, speak in tongues, but not a church, all that kind of stuff. We do a whole nine yards, but that's not enough. 
If we understand the role of the church uh, to play in society, then we're going to miss it because, uh, and, and I may get to this in a moment, Jesus said, uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That really is my personal mantra for medicine and ministry. That we're in a real battle, and the enemy is not put, a, he's real, and, and he's very subtle, and he's very nuanced. If you're not really aware of what's really going on, you'll be fooled for what appears to be, yet all around you there's death and dying, and you know that's not God's will. But he said, I have come to my life, life in its fullest. That means life physically, life financially, life sociologically, life relationally, life spiritually. You know, again, we, we've got to be careful. So I call it vision, and I challenge you what, what your vision of health and health care is. Because again, as a person thinking, that's how we operate. So the way you see things is going to direct what you do and how you spend your time is going to direct how you prioritize issues. Um, I may refer back, and I may not get to that, get to that slide, but the Georgetown study of cardiac cat that showed very clearly, if you're a healthcare professional, you don't have to be racist to be negative to people. If you're not aware of the cultural issues, you make choices unknowingly that are negative to the population that you serve. Not because you're trying to do it. It's because we, we grew up in a world. We grew up in a society. And you cannot escape what you grew up in unless you are super educated about it. So it's really important to ask that question. Uh, you're going to go over here and do this. They train me. Well, come on, come on, go help me out. Let me not, let me not be in charge of everything. Yeah, I think I am. I admit it. I'm not a control freak. Yes, you are. All right. Uh, hey, did you fix it? Did you sign it again? Just go to the over here. There you go. Go back one side, Will. Here. So, uh, so here's a question to us, and we're going to have to ask in a moment. So what, what motivates you to do what you do? That's really important. How do you see yourself? Because again, how you impact people. I can tell you stories, and I won't. You know, I've been at Northwestern, I, I, I trained at the University of Illinois, I did training at Cook County, and, and Rush, when it was called Press St. Luke's. You know, I, I've, I've been around the gamut, um, and I will tell you, that even at the, the, we call the Mecca and Northwestern, you know, there is discrimination. And some of it is, it, it's not racism, it's prejudice. You know, the word prejudice, you, people prejudge and don't know they're prejudging. Yeah, you know, I, I do rounds with the residents, I watch uh, how they address parents and what they deal with, you know, and, and again, you know, they'll, they'll work up a kid at night, you know, and then we'll have a rounds in the morning, and I'll ask them what you do, say, well, we did this, we did that, and then we told the parents whatever, I said, yeah, but you didn't do that with that parent. Said, yes, we did. We, 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 we examined the patient, we took the history, all that, and then we asked them, I said, see, you, you missed your own words. One parent, you told them what you're going to do. That's disrespect. You don't tell the parent. You show them what you think. You involve them, and the other parent, you ask them what they thought. They said, well, yeah, they couldn't handle it. How do you know that? How do you know people can handle it? You don't know who they are. I don't care if you know their occupation. You don't know people. And so, again, the whole issue, I'll get to this in a moment, about how you see yourself and others in your background will impact, you know, whether or not you are sharing your faith in a real way. Because, you know, 
I'm in the church, so I have the, have the right to, to, to criticize the, ch the church, our church, all churches. And be very careful, too, because we can be very paternalistic, even in our sharing of what we do. And what, what do you think makes your life meaningful? Because I guarantee you, human beings are human beings. I've been around the world twice. We're the same everywhere. If you get deep enough, we're the same. We love our kids. We want the best for our families. Nobody's any different, really. Um, so it, those are real issues. Yeah, so the holistic view of what we should be doing has to be, I think, from a higher level than our classical training. Uh, we have to believe that we're here to make people's life better in every aspect. Now, you can't do it all, just be aware of it all and, and, and ask yourself, what is your role, what is my role? How do I connect people with real resources that can change their lives? You know, yeah, I talk about coach. You know, I know his background going back to, to the 80s. About courage and being a champion, I'm not in his slides, but his his issues of, of the eight parameters of real development are still pertinent today. He talked about living in the neighborhood. Can you imagine this 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 white bread guy coming to the west side of Chicago? You know, and you can make you can make a difference here. They can kill you too. Yeah, and just getting married and bringing a, a new pretty wife into this neighborhood. And, and being broken in his house, broken into three or four times the first year, and her parents wondering, what is this supposed to do with our daughter? I mean, all of these things, and yet, you know, you, we sit here today in this extraordinary facility. That's because he had a vision, and that's because he understood differently, and he was not afraid uh, to push uh, the envelope a little bit different. So, I got a lot of slides about, you know, what health is, and we don't read them all, but again, how you see health is really important. Um, how you see health will determine how you deal with people. And I'm going to use this one here, that health is wholeness and balance. Now, <laughs> somebody said, you shouldn't be doing this lecture and you don't talk about balance because you stress the envelope of everyone. Yeah, so, so, so pray for me. Pray for my wife. She, she tries to help me and others. Yeah, you, you got to have balance. And, and health is a, an inner resilience that allows you to meet the demands of living without being overwhelmed. So we walked out there today and, and you watch these people and many of them are barely making it. You know, they're being challenged and then we wonder why they're not complying, you know, with all of their appointments and whatever. But let me put you in this situation I'll see how kind you want to be. It's no excuse. But again, we have to at least understand how to deal with them and how to help them to be better. Optimum health should also bring with it, I really believe this with all my heart, a sense of strength and joy. So as busy as I supposedly am, I, I have joy in what I do. You know, it, it's people say, how do you do that? I, I always say, he loves what he does. To me, it's, it's not work, it's life. It's the life that Christ has provided. So you have strength and joy, so you experience life uh, more than just the absence of disease. Uh, yeah, 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 we know all that, Horace. Okay. So in healthcare, again, let me get a little bit deep again. So we have to rethink deep questions. And, and you know, I think you have to challenge yourself about what you really do. Um, I am, Gene up to about 39th pastoral anniversary, I stepped in the pulpit, probably that often, and just wept like a baby because I, really, I remember 39 years ago. I remember this young minister who really was trained as a physician, who never knew he was going to be a pastor, who was drawn by the Holy Spirit to what I was doing, and, and the people that stayed there with me and tolerated 
fighting up the two and, and my feebleness trying to build a church uh, in the early 80s and, and how the Lord opened doors and how uh, I couldn't work at the university. I was trained at, I was one of their fair-handed students and one of their best residents and greatest scholars, all that stuff. And then as we began to build the church, the director of the hospital called me and said, we need you to come back to the hospital. I said, I can't come back. He said, why not? I'm a, I'm a pastor. He says, what does that mean? As I shared with him, you know, it was amazing how, how in, in, in the high levels of academia, the Lord gave me favor. So when I said I couldn't be on call at night, he said, that's fine, Lord. I said, I can't work any weekends in. That's fine. He said, look, after attorney call our attorney, they put in a, a counsel in my conference says, it says that the doctor's best medical duties can never abrogate his pastoral responsibilities. So my point was that um, I realized that, that, that my life was not mine. I'm looking at a, deep, a deeper level and, and, and the structures and things that are classical, I don't disrespect them, but I believe that if you're called and you all do hear our ministers, then God will give you favor and grace to get your job done in a way that others cannot understand or even perceive that's what you're called to do. So you, you have to do that. You have to be kind of crazy. Um, I, I think that really the, 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 the essence of what we do is, is to appreciate people and the dignity of being human beings. Uh, and I know that sounds a little bit deep again, but the, the word I use is humane. We must be humane in what we do. And, and, and it, is, it says the kind, of, the kind feelings, dispositions, and sympathies of man especially a disposition to relieve persons or animals in distress and to treat all creatures with kindness and tenderness. So I have to ask myself that because I've been messing so long, you know, I, I can with my eyes closed, you know, direct clinical, whatever, but if I'm not careful, I will lose the personality of what we do. And, um, and, and that's an important issue. Uh, the issue of science, healing, and, and, and caregiving, again, even in my book, I talk about this, that I, I see no conflict uh, in, in science and faith. I see no conflict. And people say, that's, that's ridiculous. No, I see no conflict. It, it's what we understand and what we know. If God is who God is, then again, all science comes from God. And uh, I can share with you some anecdotes about that. You know, as a fellow, when, you know, when, when this two and a half year old kid who I had fallen in love with because I was his, his oncology and rather about sarcoma, and when he relapsed, three times in two years, and we had just loved this drug called cisplatinum, and I said he get treated, and they said, you know, he's got lung meds, and you know, he's not gonna survive, and, and I, if I'm a surgeon, we would cherry pick his lungs, and all that, and they said, Horace, that's your faith, act up again, you know he's gonna die, and, and then that kid, you know, lived and went through college and got married. No, I'm saying to you that, that um, you, the, the interposition of what we do, you can't, you've got to be responsible. Got, I, I believe in academic training and rigor. But I also believe that there is a component that we must be in touch with when we really help people to be better. Um, I, I talk about this relationship that the origins of, of physicians from way back in the 1800s was a sacred trust. I think it's changed a little bit in the last 20 years. I have a daughter, the youngest daughter who's in medical school now, and I told her, then this is not the same as it was when I was trained. So I hope you understand what you're getting into. But then it really felt like a sacred trust. I mean, I had patients now I took care of 30 years ago. I think I had three generations of people in the same family. I, I know their cousins, their aunts, and all that stuff. 
But that was a different day and time. Now, I have to admit to you, I resisted the change uh, in my practice. I told you, you want me to work here, then I can't see a patient in seven minutes. I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. I just can't. Uh, so, so you have to understand what it is that we do with people. Um, we have to be in fact in empathic providers. We have to understand people and, and can you walk in their shoes for a minute to relate to who they really are? Can you understand where they're coming from? And you can't always accommodate everything, but you must at least be sensitive to it. Again, your, your health delivery will be different. Uh, again, not to, to pass on the back, but 20 years ago, um, the risk manager at Children's came and said, um, we need to sit down and talk with you. So we may say, well, you've been here for 25 years. You've never been sued. You've never been named in a lawsuit. He said, and, and we want to know, how does that happen? And then we sit down and we could, and I concluded to them, I said, look, if you treat people right, you can almost be a bad physician. They won't sue you. But if you're arrogant, if you ignore them, you will be named multiple times because they sense that. Uh, the, the person of the person to respect. People want to know that you care about them and you do your best. No, you're not God. But you, so again, the whole issue of how we practice medicine is important. Uh, I've got 25 other slides. And I'm going to, what time is it? I'm going to stop in a couple minutes to, to let you ask some questions. Um, the, the issue of what we, we do has to be, again, in, in the kind of empathy that we have and, and looking at that person as a real person, not a diagnosis, not a number, you know, and so forth, it will change the quality of your medicine and what you do with people. And, and again, it, it's a little bit of a slippery slope. Uh, let me give you an anecdote. I remember, um, yeah, I won't name his name because that, that, that's a HIPAA violation. Yeah, a young man who was 16 years old, he became my patient. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, he had stage four. We treated him, he got better, and then he relapsed. And, and the time of, of his relapse and what he was going through was very difficult. And I can remember when I first met him, I was, I was in his room talking about something, and he, was, he had this music on, and I said, what is that you playing? He said, he said that's cool Modi. I went, who? I'm a church guy, I'm a cool Modi. I don't know what a cool Modi is. He said to me, he said, you know what, you're the squarest guy I've ever met. And so we, we made a pact. He said, I'm going to teach you about Kumo D, you teach me about lymphoma. And so we walked up about two or three years, and then he relaxed, and then he died. His mother gave me his first time that happened, said to me, she said, you're a minister, right? I said, yes. Yeah. So can you do his funeral? Uh, wait a minute. And this is like, what, 1989, maybe? You know, and so I talked to my colleagues at Horace, you know, you're too close to your patients already, you know you can't do that, you're crossing the line. That's not what we do. So I went back to her, I said, you know, I really, you know, I really like to do it, but I don't think it's a good idea. And she was lividly angry with me. Said, how dare you say that? Said, my son loved you. You loved him. You knew him very better than anybody else. Why can't you do his funeral? So that kind of pushed me into probably crossing the line a little bit of the envelope. You know, what we do with patients, that is myself. So what do we do with them? Do we just give chemotherapy? Do we just provide a transplant? What do we do? Do we walk them in life? I, I, I'm not sure, but I know all those answers, but it made me rethink what I did. 
and, and, I, and I start, so when children have the first uh, annual service of all the kids and parents, uh, parents, who had, parents for kids who had died, they asked me to do a service. It was so uplifting to me because you provided something deeper than what you had done, and yet I think it is a natural continuum of what you did before. Because what do you do in research? You push the envelope, you ask the questions, you challenge the parameters. And so it got me involved again on a level that's a little bit different. Again, my point to you is that, again, what do we do and what is the intersect there? We, we have, tr people trust us. And when they trust us, they allow you access to them. And I guess it's both, when I teach my pastors, I tell them, as a minister, you know, People trust you. They give you access to their heart. Don't play them. Because you have a role in their life that they become very vulnerable. I mean, patients to us are vulnerable. They're naked. I mean, they open up to us. Don't blow that. Because they trust you. And so it's not simply, you know, a business negotiation. It should be, I think, on some level, a relationship. And so that, that's important. Uh, yeah, we talked about race. Yeah, subconscious bias, we all have it. Me too. Yeah. I wanted to get... Yeah, you know, uh, again, I, I, so I've been either working as in a unique way, and so, you know, when University of Chicago first started doing their lectures on spirituality and, uh, uh, and medicine, they asked me to be a part. You know, I've been to Yale at the, this, the cancer center a couple times to talk to their practitioners and to the community about how do you bring comfort to people who have dread diseases. I mean, it's, it's been an amazing journey for me, but it's taught me again that these things are real to the point where now the NIH funds issues of faith and science, how those things, worlds interact. Uh, we, we, we know that there's something deeper than what we understand classically, so even medical education has to change. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, well, no, go backwards. Yeah, the, the, these words, you already know them, but they're really important. We have to be, and I, and I went up to Lord Lawndale, my last three or four slides talked about the, the opening of Lawndale years ago, uh, and, and why are you what you are now? Because somebody had a vision that was beyond the normal, and, and they had a holistic vision of people and community. They had the courage to embrace a community and be a part of it, and they had the insight to allow the community uh, buy, buy into what they were doing and not be paternalistic. So now you're able to effectuate people's lives. Uh, this corner and this one, this is a miracle. You don't see this often in this country. But I think that the church and healthcare professionals ought to be more of a collaborative team together to do the work that we've been called to do. So there's a partnership, and I call it the community of care. You know, words like care and words like respect are critically important. You love about sharing with people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, if you want a copy of the, all the slides, you can have it. Um, even the issue of what should we be as physicians to meet the needs of our patients, and you don't want to cross out. You have to be trustworthy and to treat them as a patient, as a person. You have to be kind. I'm very, you know, I left in my church because we, we have a nice size church. We're always trying to make it better. And I told them that we need to look at uh, the people, the people we call, who we call people that, that greet people when they first come in. Yeah. Hospitality. I said, I don't want real deep spiritual folk to be on hospitality. I want people just kind and nice. 
Just be nice to people. Don't ask them deep questions about the rapture and the resurrection. We're glad you're here. Yeah, I mean, just, just be, you know, people are already jacked up and complex. Just be nice to people. Don't be deep. You know, and, and you may help him, Lord, help him, Jesus. I think that the race and the care to be much more humane. Um, again, be kind but committed to love, to truth, to true justice on a global level. Uh, the other thing is that, as I was thinking about three minutes ago, um, people that I, I worked with patients in Rwanda, uh, in Venezuela, uh, in India, I've been to the leper colonies who support one of them in India. People are the same all over, have the same needs. Uh, and so, Justice on a global level is really important because, again, if you allow injustice to just be there and you are apathetic about it, you're part of the problem. You got to address those. You you have a platform. I, at least I do. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's justice. Yeah. Kudos to Lawndale. This is the old slide. Um, you do tremendous work. Um, the values that coach and others developed together are still. Uh, apropos today, the issues of accountability, uh, of excellence, of faith, of justice, of recognition, of stewardship and reconciliation and wellness still are promoted today at this institution. Um, I don't know when Wayne wrote this, but um, these are pioneer heroic uh, dynamics of medicine and faith uh, that allow us to do what we do. And then let me stop here and just tell you Remember the one of those that we are called to serve. I'm a pediatrician, that's why I was kids. 